0: Uh, But this morning, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series uh, that I've simply entitled The Jesus Way. This summer, uh, what we are going to do is for uh, the entire summer, we're going to be walking through the first eight chapters of the book of Mark. And we're going to be looking through at the life of Jesus and saying, what does the life of Jesus look like? What is the Jesus way of living? And uh, the reason that we're going to do this is because uh, there's something that happens in the book of Romans. Romans talks about... What we are called to. And it says this, that God's desire for you and me as followers of Christ is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. So what does that mean? His desire for you and me is that we'd look like Jesus. That you and I would look like Jesus. And so if there's a, a big so what for this entire series, and if you got your uh, bulletins, you can look at the backside, take notes on that. Um, but there is a big so what for this entire series, and it isn't what's in your notes. I changed it, so Sorry. Okay, here's the big so what uh, for this entire series. It's this, spiritual maturity looks like Jesus. Spiritual maturity looks like Jesus. Sometimes we can pick other things to be our, our litmus test for what spiritual maturity looks like and how we're supposed to live our lives. But the fact is how we live our lives if we are truly growing, it needs to look like Jesus. And if we think we're, we're spiritually growing, but we aren't looking more like Jesus, then we've missed it. We're making a mistake somewhere, okay? Sometimes spiritual growth, if we're just honest, spiritual growth looks like this graph, okay? Here's what happens in a lot of our lives, and maybe you'll see yourself in this, is that here's the point where we come to faith. And in those first couple weeks, couple months, even maybe the first year, there's all this growth that takes place, Right? Because suddenly the way you talk, who you're connected to, all of those things begin to change and you start to shape. And real quickly, a lot of stuff changes in your life. But There's something that can happen in our faith journey. Maybe you've seen this happen in your life. Is it maybe two months, six months, a year goes by and suddenly rather than looking at the word and looking at Jesus, we look at each other. We start comparing our faith life with other people and we say, well, well, I'm, I'm nicer than that guy. <laughs> I pray better than that guy. You know, I know the Bible more than they do. And so we don't even say it. We don't think it out loud. We don't even say it. But what can happen is we start comparing to other things other than Jesus. And we'll see our lives plateau. And if we're honest, there are seasons in life. Maybe you can think back to seasons like this where maybe it's been a year. Maybe it's been five years. Maybe it's been ten years. And you can look back and say, you know what? I don't know that I'm any different, that I, that I speak differently, that I think differently than I did five or ten years ago. I don't know that I've I've grown any more into the image of Jesus than I did time ago. And, And so this is why it is critical that if we are going to grow in this faith, we have to have a different picture. We have to be pursuing the Jesus way. Not just the church way. Not just the moral way. We need to pursue the Jesus way. All right, And here's my prayer for us all this summer. Okay? This is my prayer. Is that this summer, we would actually see growth in our relationship with Jesus. We would see transformation in the way that we live our lives. That we wouldn't get to September and say, you know what? I look exactly the same way I did three months ago. My prayer is that we would be challenged in some way. And it may mean that we need to strip off the the lenses, the cultural lenses and filters that exist. How many know our, our view of the world is messed up a little bit. Like, the way we see the world is influenced by this world that we live in. And so maybe some of those filters are going to have to get stripped off. We're going to have to have our filters cleaned off, our lenses. You know, how many wear glasses? You know, okay. You get the dirty glasses, you know. My son, Asher, he's, he's just, you know, he's six years old. And when he takes his glasses off and on, this is how he does it. You know what I mean? like... Like, grab it from the side, bud, <laughs> then you can see. No, I'm grab it this way, okay? And I look at his glasses and I'm like, how can you possibly see? Like, I can't see anything. So I'm always taking his glasses and cleaning them for him, right? That may need to happen to us this summer. Or maybe our glasses have gotten a little dirty. Maybe they haven't been cleaned off all the way, all right? And it's possible that the way we've thought faith should look like, it may need to change this summer. It may be that as we look at Jesus, we're gonna say, "Uh, what I thought spirituality was supposed to be, maybe I didn't have it right. We need to look at this Jesus way, okay? And so so we're we're gonna tell lots of stories this summer. We're going through the book of Mark and some of you are like, yeah, I've heard those stories, but what I don't want you to say is, yeah, 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 I know that one. Yeah, yeah, I know that story. No, I want us to fresh take. Let's look at Jesus' life and say, okay, how does the way Jesus lived compared to the way I live. And if there's some place where there is a breakdown, I get to a place in my own heart where I say, okay, God, I surrender. Would you change me? Would you shape me? All right? So that's what we're gonna do this summer. So there's gonna be a really practical thing that we're gonna do this summer. Is uh, When you walked in the door, hopefully you got a bookmark. How many got one of these bookmarks on the way in? Okay, if you didn't get one and you would like one, I want you to raise your hand right now. The ushers are going to walk down the aisles and just make sure everybody gets one, okay? If you missed out on one, just raise your hand until they come down. They're going to give you one. They're going to run around. We got some here in the front row to get, okay, all around. They'll walk around. Just keep your hands raised. They will keep moving until, they, until you get one. All right, here's what this is. We created a reading plan for every chapter of the Gospels, okay? We're going to begin in Mark chapter 1. You can start today. You can start tomorrow. I don't really care. Pick day one. But here's what we're going to do. Through this summer, you might have your own Bible reading plans. If you do, that's totally fine. But if you don't, I'm going to encourage you to follow along with this, that every day we're going to read one chapter in the Gospels, and we're going to hear about this idea of what is Jesus all about. And here's the challenge. Isn't to get this thing out every week and just check my box. Cool. Killed it for today. Okay? Here's here's what I want you to do. Uh, Before you even open the chapter, I want you to say, all right, God, I pray that you would reveal to me something about the character and who Jesus is and what he values. And then I pray, God, that you would reveal how that should affect my life. Okay? That's what we're going to do this summer. And I think if we do that every single day, God's going to begin to reveal in every moment, every day, it's situations, in your family, on your job, where maybe you can live a different way, where you would put Christ first and say, God, I want to live the way you want me to live. All right? So that's what we're going to do this summer, okay? I'll start with you. Mark chapter 1, we'll, ta- we'll start that. Uh, this week, all right, cool. Let's get into the message. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at this question: What does greatness look like? What does greatness look like? And I think it's really important for us to have a picture to say, okay, what is greatness look like? All right. Before we do that, I want you to talk amongst yourself. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I want you to turn to one or two people around you. Here's what I want you to do: I want you to say one person that you can think who has achieved greatness and why you think they've achieved greatness. All right. You got 30 seconds. Turn to your neighbor. Who and why? All right, all right, all right. So there's lots, of, there's lots of definition for greatness. I think all of us can think about different people and why we think they're great, right? Some of the examples. So you might think about somebody who has impacted the world a lot. You might think of somebody like a Steve Jobs, right? They've impacted the world. They've made a difference in the world. They've, they've done something that's changed the way we think and the way we function in our day-to-day basis, okay? You might think of somebody who's achieved greatness in a sport or an event of some sort. You think about like a Michael Jordan okay, he's, he's achieved greatness athletically in basketball, okay, you think about financially, you've achieved greatness, somebody like a Warren Buffett, right, how, how many know how much this guy's worth, 82 billion dollars, with a B, that's a lot of money, okay, or you might think of just people who are just known, everybody knows who they are, you think about a Kim Kardashian, okay, she is famous for being famous, that's it. Like, she's done nothing of value in this world. You know how many Twitter followers she has? 140 million Twitter followers. It's ridiculous, okay? All right, you can take her picture off. We don't need to look at her anymore. Thank you. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. All right? But some people in the world would say, well, that's greatness. That I, Everybody knows me. Everybody cares what I have to say. I might not have done anything of value in this world, but I have a, I have a platform, okay? Other people might see great greatness as doing something meaningful. Like I've done something that matters, right? Nobody has to know about it, but it's doing something that matters. Or maybe it's having a a family. Maybe that's what you consider greatness, a big family. That might be greatness. Or or maybe greatness is something like just getting to retirement early (laughs) or having a long retirement, whatever those things are. Everybody can see greatness as a different thing. But in the book of Mark, we're going to see this Jesus way and we're going to understand what does he have to say? What is greatness really about, all right? And I think this is important for us to understand is because God ultimately should be the one that decides what greatness looks like, right? This is his world. He gets to decide. And you and I, a lot of times, we will live our lives climbing a ladder. We'll climb a ladder. We climb a ladder. Climb a ladder. But unfortunately, a lot of times, those ladders are leaned against the wrong wall. And I would hate to get to the end of my life and feel like I've pursued, I've worked, I've strived, I've done everything that I could. And I get to the top of this ladder and I realize, oh, no, I've been pursuing the wrong picture of greatness, I missed what the point of this thing was. And so Jesus is going to give us a picture of what greatness looks like and what we should be pursuing. And and my prayer is that every single one of us would choose that picture of greatness this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse Thirty-five. You might say, this is the first day in Mark. Why are we in chapter 10? Uh, today's message is a little bit of an overview. We're going to be talking a kind of big picture here a little bit this morning. But also, uh, specifically verse 45 here of what we're going to read is actually kind of most people see as the theme verse of this entire book. And so this is what we're going to get started with this morning as we start this. Would you stand with me as we're going to read our primary text this morning? Nothing sacred about stand. It's just what we do around here to honor God's word. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for drawing us here this morning. We thank you that you have invited us into your story, and God, you've got plans for us so we thank you for that, Jesus. God, we submit our hearts and our lives to you right now. And we ask that you would just speak to us through this word. Prayed in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 I want to welcome those who just walked in. Awesome. <laughs> it's fun for me. I just keep watching people like, oh, yeah, service started at 10 today. <laughs> Whoops. It's great, guys. I'm glad you're here. All right. Next week, we'll all be here at 10 o'clock. It'll be fun. Okay. So before we get into uh, the details of this text, I want to give you a little context. Remember, we always talk context. I want to give you a little context for the entire book of Mark, all right? And so uh, Mark is known uh, as a gospel, right? How many gospels do we have? Four. What are they? Matthew. Good job, guys. That's the way to go, okay? So we got four gospels. Now, gospels, that's a, that is a unique Literary form, okay, a gospel that wasn't something that existed. They took some ideas that it existed before and began to write this uh, this idea of a gospel. These writers are presenting an understanding of who Jesus was. But this is what we need to understand: is that gospels are historical theologies, not biographies. They're historical theologies. Now, because sometimes we'll read these and we'll think, "Well, that." I don't, I don't quite understand. It feels like they may have missed some things or maybe they've skipped over some things or it feels like this book says things one way, another book says another way. Here's what we have to recognize. They are absolutely historical, okay? Absolutely historical. But the goal, every writer's goal wasn't simply to just write a historical account of events and that's it. What they are trying to do is to communicate this theology of who Jesus is. And so what you're going to find from one gospel to another is some gospels, they will, they will reorder things. They'll put things in a different order. Why? Because they're trying to communicate something through that order. They're trying to speak something to you, all right? And so we recognize that this is what the gospels are doing. They are writing this historical theology now. The gospel of Mark is written by a guy named? Good job, okay? If, you, if you're familiar with scripture, it's the same as John Mark. Okay, there's a guy named John Mark. You'll see him in the book of Acts. You'll see him in some of Paul's letters. you see him in Peter's letters, okay? This guy, John Mark. Now, John Mark was not one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't one of the original apostles that way. You say, well, why, how did he get to write uh, a gospel, all right? Well, John Mark had an intimate relationship with at least two of the apostles. First and foremost is Paul. Uh, he actually traveled with Paul on his first missionary journey. And uh, there was a little bit of a breakdown because it says later on in Scripture that uh, it says John Mark abandoned, at least from Paul's perspective, he abandoned him. And so when it came to the next missionary journey, he didn't want John Mark to come with. There was this breaking. But we see later on that there's obviously some level of reconciliation because Paul asked for him to come back. And then it turns out that this guy, John Mark, gets to write the very first gospel. And so I would just say this to some of you who are here. You might feel like you've screwed up somewhere along the way like you knew better, like you were a you were following Jesus and then you went the wrong way and you thought, man, God can't ever do anything with me, that's wrong. John Mark went the wrong way. He kind of got into a little fight and guess what? He wrote the first gospel that we ever had, okay? So there's a story for every single one of us but John Mark didn't just have a relationship with Paul, he had a a relationship with Peter, and and what many writers believe is that this is how we were able to get the gospel of Mark, is that uh, when you read Mark, you're going to see that it's really fast-paced, and it's just action, 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 action. 42 times in the book, they use the word immediately. So there's this sense of just action, action, and it feels like it's just headlines. And Mark most likely is taking the stories that he heard from Peter, the first-hand stories from Peter, and he's just transcribing these things down and writing a story and an understanding of who this Jesus is and what he's all about, all right? And so this is kind of uh, our understanding. Now, you have to understand the audience. So this is who wrote it. Okay, we got this guy named John Mark. He wrote this book. But who was he specifically writing to? He was writing most likely to a Roman Gentile audience. Who are the Gentiles? Gentiles just mean they weren't Jews, all right? How do we know that? Because in the book, you're going to see multiple times he explains Jewish customs. Why? Because he assumes the people who are reading this writing don't have a clue of what they're about. So it's good for us because most of the time we don't have a clue what they're talking about either. Okay, so John Mark is explaining some of those things. But you have to understand this, that that fact is that he's writing around the year 60 A.D., And in that time, Christians are experiencing persecution, primarily under Emperor Nero. All right? And so Mark is writing this letter to Christians who are experiencing persecution. They're in a tough season. We think sometimes we experience persecution. We have no idea what persecution is like until you think about first century Christianity. Okay? and and he's writing this encouragement and one of the pictures that he tries to speak in this verse we're looking at is he really embodies Jesus as this suffering servant and why does he want to communicate Jesus as a suffering servant because he's writing to a bunch of people who are suffering and he wants to say listen this Jesus that you're serving he gets it, he's been there he's lived it, alright so this is what we're talking about, okay alright, shake your neighbor now shake your neighbor Okay, because some of you don't like history and so now you feel, check back in now. Okay, here I am. Okay, we're back again. Now we're going to get to the meat of this message, all right? So we get to the passage that we're looking at and this is really the theme for this gospel. This specifically, verse 45, is the theme for this gospel. But I want to give you context before we get into this passage. Right before the passage we're reading here that we're going to work through, just before that, if you look, if you got your Bibles, uh, look uh, just a couple verses before, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, hey guys. We're about to go up to Jerusalem, okay? We're all going to go up to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be delivered into all the officials and the leaders. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to flog me. Guess what else they're going to do? They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. That's what's going to happen. End of story. We get to the next passage. And then what happens? It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Who ask? Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus has got to be like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I just told you I'm going to get flogged. I'm going to get killed. And you're worried about how you're going to live in the kingdom? Like, are you going to be the, the stuff when we get to the kingdom? You ever have that moment as a parent, maybe wives out there, you might have had this moment when you've been having a serious conversation and you're like, what? I didn't even, sorry, I wasn't paying attention to you. It's what the disciples are doing, like, Oh, sorry, we weren't paying attention. We're worried about something else. And Jesus is like, you guys don't, don't even get this. And over and over, we see this happen in Scripture, where the disciples just don't quite understand what's going on. They're kind of missing the storyline of what's taking place. Remember back on Palm Sunday, back on Palm Sunday, we talked about this. We talked about the fact that everyone assumed that the Messiah was going to come and vanquish the enemy. Remember that? The enemy is going to come and militarily take out the leaders and just become the king of everything, right? Just take over everything and set up a new kingdom here on earth. And here's what's going on. James and John, they still think that's what's going to take place, and they're trying to get themselves ready. They're positioning themselves, right? See, it's kind of like, uh, it's like, they're like saying, I'm buying stock in Amazon in the 90s. That's what they're saying. Like, I got a feeling like this is going to be huge, and I'm going to get on this thing, right? Right? This kingdom's gonna be big. We gotta get close. Let's see how close we can get to Jesus in this thing. And Jesus is like, guys, I said, you, you don't really get this. You have no idea what's really taking place because their view of greatness was the same view that oftentimes we have. Their view of greatness was, how can I be in a place of honor? How can I make a name for myself? How can I have power? How can I have influence? That's what we assume is greatness in some way they're thinking if we could do those things then we'll be great then we'll be big in the kingdom of God that's what we need and 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 Jesus reply look at what he says in verse 38 he says you don't know what you're asking that's the kind way of saying you are clueless (laughs) you are utterly clueless guys you have no idea what I'm doing right now you have no idea what you're asking here right and I'll be honest, this, it makes me feel good. It, it makes me feel encouraged that Jesus talked to the disciples this way. Because sometimes I feel clueless. Anybody else feel clueless at times? <laughs> you're like, I'm like, I don't even know what you're doing, God. I don't understand. You know, sometimes I'm reading the Bible, so you're talking. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't really, what are you trying to say here? I don't get it. So it's okay. God's willing to be patient with us. But he says, listen, you, you don't understand what you're actually asking. Let, let me kind of talk to you a little bit. And, and Jesus has a moment here. Maybe you students have had this kind of moment. Parents, you understand what this is like because I, I, sometimes I have this vision that I'm going to have these really great deep moments with my kids. I mean, you, you plan out, you're like, oh, I'm going to talk to them about this deep issue. And I'm going to have this great conversation. And I think about it and I plan it. And I right, all right, kids, let's get around. We're going to talk about this thing. And suddenly somebody is like talking about their booger or like making smellies, you know. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> the moment is over, I guess, <laughs> You know, that's what happens at times, okay? The most powerful moments, though, in my home oftentimes are where life is just happening and something happens and I seize that moment. I'm like, oh, okay, let's leverage this moment. And this is what Jesus does. He's like, okay, you guys are being stupid and talking about stuff you don't understand. And, the, and it says, look at what it says. That all the other d- disciples, they're all frustrated. They're indignant at, the, at these disciples. What are they asking? And Jesus like, all right, guys, everybody come here. Rally up. We're going to talk for a second. Come here. What does he say? He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. What's Jesus saying? This is what you're used to. Like, this is what's normal in our world, right? It's normal to simply do what everybody else does, to simply try to fight for authority, to try and get in power. James and John are just doing what everybody else does. You think about our own world. That's what everybody, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world. Like, we're out for ourselves. How can we make a name for ourselves? You've experienced that on the job site. You've been hurt. You've been frustrated because you said all these people, everybody's just fighting for themselves, right? You've experienced that in a relationship before where people are just fighting for themselves, doing their own thing. I want this to be about me. We've all experienced that at some point in our lives. Jesus saying, I get it. I get it. This is how the world operates. Everybody is fighting for the top. Everybody wants to get to the top, right? Because when you're at the top, what happens? It's all about you. You know, everybody cares for you, everybody serves you, you know? And if we're honest, doesn't that kind of sound good? Like it kind of sounds good to have everybody take care of me. I don't know about you, but when when you're a parent, you know, you feel like you're always taking care of the children, right? I'd love the children to always take care of me. Wouldn't that be cool someday, right? Right? It's like once a year, we get Mother's Day and Father's Day where the kids try and take care of us. Otherwise, but, but it would be fun. Like, honestly, when I see pictures like this on a beach, like, doesn't this look amazing? Like, I just want to lay right here, and I want people to come bring me food. That's what I want. You know what I'm saying? Like, that sounds awesome. I would love to be in that position, okay? And it's nice to go on vacation and do this kind of thing, but this is not what our life is supposed to look like. This is not the picture that Jesus said. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God... That's not what it looks like. It doesn't mean everybody serves you. It's not all about you. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to live a different way. It has to look a little bit different. So we get to verse 43, and what does Jesus say? Not so with you. Not so. It's like that with everybody else. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Hear this we don't understand how revolutionary this statement is like we have no idea because we live in a post-Jesus world okay and in a post-Jesus world we actually can think of people in our lives who live this way because because people there's there are people who have followed Jesus and followed this self-serving idea but guess what in this period of time everybody was about themselves The whole point of being an authority was to be in control, to be able to dominate. That was the world that existed at that time. Jesus was so revolutionary in the way that he talked. So many of the things that he said was so contrary to what was going on in the world as they knew it at their time. And even for us, we recognize that this is a a revolutionary idea. Okay, And what Jesus is trying to say is greatness looks different. So I want to get to our big so what here. And I want to get real practical on it, okay? Our big so what this morning is simply this. Greatness is a fight for the bottom. Greatness is a fight for the bottom. We live in a world where we like to fight for the top. Where we think, if I fight my way to the top, then I will have experienced greatness in some way. If I fight my way to the top, then I have control. See, that's what I want to be. But the attitude has to change. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is completely different. The way you become great is not to fight for the top. It's to fight for the bottom. It's to say, how can I serve? To put myself in a position where how can I lift other people up? How can I encourage everyone? How can I lay my life down For someone else that's what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like greatness looks like a servant it doesn't look like a king it's a different picture and this isn't the you know this isn't the kind of message where everybody's like yay that's what I want but it's reality because the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world if you want to be in the kingdom of this world great just keep fighting your way to the top that's fine but guess what at the end of your life you're going to realize you've been climbing the wrong ladder your ladder's leaning up against the wrong wall. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you fought your way to the top. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's to lay yourself down. It is to die to yourself, to surrender yourself, to say, God, I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm to lay myself down, all right? If this understanding is absolutely true, then we need to recognize something, that our greatness in this world may change, but we need to see that spiritual greatness may need to be blown up as well. Because I think sometimes we can look at certain people and say, oh, I want to be like that person. I want, I want you to ask a question. If that person doesn't look like Jesus, then they shouldn't be your goal. Okay? What did Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, the goal is to follow after Jesus, to begin to look like Jesus. You remember what did I said earlier? I said, a growing, if you're going to grow in your faith, you've got to look like Jesus. Well, hear this. If we claim to be growing in our faith, but we don't look more like a servant, then we're mistaken. It's growth. What did Romans say? It says we should be conformed to the image of his son. We need to look more like Jesus. And so spiritual growth around here for us needs to look like how can we serve? How can we fight for the bottom? Not fight for our name to see. How can we be great to say, God, I want to lay myself down. I want to look like Jesus, and Jesus, he made it very clear. Look what it says in verse 45 For even the Son of Man, who is the Son of Man? Jesus, even I did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus said. He's saying, Hey, you want to be like me? You want to follow after me? You got to look like a servant. That's what it means to be spiritually mature. Said even me, I'm the king, I'm Messiah, I'm the Lord, right? I became a servant. And that word for servant is actually, it's a very unique word because it's actually the word of what a, what a waiter is. It's as if Jesus saying, hey, there's a party, and everybody's coming to the party, and I'm showing up as a waiter. I'm not even showing up, I'm not the, I'm not the head of the party, I'm not the person who's like just fighting to get into the party, I'm literally the waiter there to serve on everybody, serve everyone else. See, Jesus didn't fight his way to the top. He said, I'm willing to lay myself down to be a servant, to surrender for everyone else, to to give my life as a ransom for many. And if we are going to follow after Jesus, if we are gonna follow in the Jesus way, we need to recognize at its core, the first step we have is that the pursuit is not to pursue how high we can get, it's how humble we can get, how we can lay ourselves down. So I want to get really practical here for a minute as we close up this morning. Okay, how does this look in our everyday life? What does this look like? All right, so I would say it starts in relationships. Students, this is a really big one because here you're going to understand something as you get older in life. Here's what most people do: we look at people and immediately make a judgment call about whether or not they are going to help us or or, uh, or do nothing for us. Do they have value for my life? Can they offer me something? Can they offer me money? Can they offer me influence? Can they offer me something? And we will make a judgment call and you can, you know, don't, we don't ever say this out loud, but we will make very quick judgments. This is a good person to be in relationship with. This person can do nothing for me and we tend to stay away from them. That's the normal pattern of our world. And if we're going to live this out, then here's what we have to do. We say, you know what? I'm not here and I'm not looking for a relationship based on what they can do for me. I'm here to simply serve. And so when we're in that attitude, what it means is when a person can't bring any value to you. They have no money. They have no influence. They have no ability to make your life better. You can still love them and you can give. Why? Because you're not there to make a name. You're not there to fight for the top. You're there to fight for the bottom, to say, how can I lay myself down? How does this principle look in marriage? And I'm going to linger here for a minute. This is a huge principle when it comes to marriages. If you're not married in the room, this is still a principle you need to understand. But marriages in here, you may have walked in this morning and, uh, and I get it. You know, me and Amber don't pretend like marriage is all this, all the time. Like, we get it. It's hard sometimes, right? And some of you probably walked in the door this morning, and you don't even like each other right now. Let's just be real. You just, you're like, you walked in the door, and you're just like, okay, we're going to church, and you're gritting your teeth and bearing it a little bit, and I get it, okay? So, so what does it look like? I, I bet, I would bet anything, that if you both would do one thing, that your marriage would start to change today. And it's this. If both of you would mutually decide I'm going to fight for the bottom in this marriage. I'm going to fight to be the servant in this marriage. Things would change. Today, if you as husband, husband, you would say, you don't go into your home thinking, how can I get my wife to do what I want? How can I kind of work the system, right? Like, if I do this, I know if I do this, then she'll be happy, then I can go hang out with my boys and you know, whatever. Like, not work the system. If you came to your spouse, your wife, and you said, how can I serve? I think about what does she want? What would she value? What is important to her? And I would do those things if I would serve that way. And then wives, if instead of saying, this is kind of cool. He's doing all the stuff I like. This is awesome. Rather than saying that, you mutually say, you know what? I want to serve him. I want to I fight for the bottom in this relationship. I want to say, how can I lay myself down for this wife? Just imagine what your home would look like if you suddenly would change the way you operated. Because what normally happens in a marriage everybody's fighting with one another, fighting for the top instead of laying their lives down, fighting for our rights. I want things my way. No, I want things my way. Okay, let's fight about it. No, what if we both said, I want to do things your way. I want to serve you. I want to lay myself down. That's a beautiful picture. If we would do that, there would be a revolution in our marriages around here if we could truly serve one another. But it's beyond that. It's, it's the, in your office. It's, it's in your family. It's in your school, wherever it is. This idea of fighting for the bottom. See, it's not necessarily going to result in greatness in this world. But we're not talking about winning in this kingdom. We're talking about a different kingdom. We're saying, God, I want, I want to serve your kingdom, not like this world does. You know, James and John, they came and said, I want to do things my way. I want to do things like the world does. And Jesus said, I have a different way for you. But you need to all hear this. It isn't motivated It isn't motivated in how, uh, how, how we can think less of ourselves. Like, oh, poor me, I need to just serve people because I'm worthless. There's a passage of scripture that that hopefully will help you understand this. And this happens when Jesus uh, comes before his disciples the day uh, before he's to be crucified. And it says Jesus is going to wash his disciples' feet. And there's a verse here just before Jesus, just before he gets on his knees, just before he takes a basin, just before he takes a towel and starts wiping their dirty, scuzzy feet. Just before that. This so what it says in John 13. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You know what it says next? Then he got on his knees and he cleaned their feet. How do we step into a position of serving? How do we do that? It starts by knowing who we are. Because if you forget who you are in Christ... You're gonna live life just like the world does. You're gonna think, I have to fight my way to the top. I've gotta to fight my way so God can see how great I am. I've gotta fight my way to have this spiritual level. But if you could stop for a second and recognize that through Christ, you are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. You have been given a position that is not based on your skill. It has been based on what Christ has purchased for you. If you can understand who you are, you know what it does? It says. I don't need to fight for the top anymore, I've already been given the top. I can respond by laying my life down just like Christ did. The motivation isn't I need to make a name, no, it says I need to make much of Christ and I can serve anyone in that process. I can lay myself down for the sake of another. See, that's the motivation and I think every one of us, if we would capture, if we would understand who we are in Christ, then we would say, you know what, there's nothing beneath me. I don't need to maintain some look, I don't need to maintain some level of, well, I don't, I don't lower myself to things like that. No. Christ, you know what he did? He went to the bottom, cleaned the dirty, scuzzy feet. One took a scourger, took a cross for us, laid himself down. He says, you, don't want to see, "You want to see a picture of greatness in the kingdom of God? It's that. Philippians talks about that. The fact that Christ was willing to humble himself. Now he is elevated, seated in heaven. And That's the call on our lives. If we are going to live like Jesus, if we are going to be kingdom people, if we are going to live the Jesus way, it doesn't look like the world. We're not serving this kingdom. We're living in a different kingdom, serving a different Lord. So it means our lives must look a little bit different. So I'm going to give you a challenge here this morning and this is a very very simple challenge and, I, and it's a thought I want you to carry with you this week okay and here's the challenge Oop, no, let's go to the challenge at the end Oh, the challenge apparently disappeared so never mind don't worry about it here's the challenge what is the lower position it's in your notes what's the lower position I want you to ask yourself that. When you come into circumstances this week, I want you to simply pause for a second and say, what's the lower position? What is the attitude of servant? How can I fight for the bottom in this situation as opposed to try and fight for the top? How can I take on an attitude of a servant? Simply ask the question. It doesn't mean you gotta do it. I'm asking you to at least ask the question. And my challenge for you is more often than not is to begin to take that position. Say, God, I'm, I'm not gonna just simply ask the question. I'm actually gonna serve I'm gonna say, God, what is the position of humility that I can take in this situation? How can I lay myself down? Because God, you did that for me. The only response I can have is to lay myself down, right? And see, this is the beautiful thing, and I want you all to hear this, because some of you come in here this morning, and you would say, you know what, I don't, I'm never, I'm never gonna experience greatness, because I'm, uh, I, I don't have any money. I came from a family that has no money. I don't even have a family, You know, I don't have the right education. I don't have the right background. I don't have any of those things. Guess what? The beauty of the gospel is that that is not the definition. That is not required for greatness in the kingdom of God. Anyone can be great in the kingdom of God. It just simply means this. Lay myself down. Surrender myself before you. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. I want us to come into just a position of surrender here. As we, uh, as we say, God, God, I want to lay myself down. I want us to do that corporately here this morning. And so here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you are standing next to your spouse, I want you to grab their hand right now. Okay? Because it's got to start there. We can try. Yeah, we're going to be all servey everywhere else. But if it doesn't start in our home, then we got problems. I got to get better at this. We all got to get better at this. Say, God, I want to lay myself down. And some of you, maybe it's hard. You don't even want to hold your spouse's hand right now because you're, you guys are, like I said, you might not even be happy with each other right now. But I think God wants to begin something new in this place. And so corporately, can we just come into a position of surrender right now to say, God, we give up our rights. So right now, I'm just gonna invite you to pray that on your own. Say, God, I lay myself down. I give up my right to be in control. Just pray an own prayer right now. Father, we thank you so much that you invite us into your story, God. You are doing an amazing work in this world, and we get to be a part of it. And it is so freeing to know that we don't have to strive for some position. We don't have to fight our way to the top, God. You have already given us more than we could ever earn for ourselves. And, Father, we get the privilege of living in your kingdom, which is a totally different kind of kingdom. It's one where we get to just lay ourselves down and and, and surrender ourselves and see you be glorified through us, Father. God, I pray that our lives would be an offering to you. Our lives would be glorifying to you in every way, God. God, that you would have your way. Lord, I pray across this room, God, I know there are marriages here uh, that may be struggling. There may be uh, relationships that are struggling. There's people that are in a tough place. God, I pray that they would recognize that the starting point is simply to say, God, how can I, how can I lay myself down? How can I choose the position of a servant, Lord? God, I pray that you'll help every single one of us. God, I pray that there would be restoration in marriages. There would be restoration in relationships. Where there has been brokenness, I pray that you would bring healing in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would do a work in here. And God, I pray for every single one of us. Lord, you would help us to look more and more like Jesus. Father, that we would look more and more like a servant. This week, as we step out in faith, God, I pray that you would help us to be bold enough to lay ourselves down. God, to be strong enough to be submitted got to be just courageous enough to take the lower position. Lord, when the world wants us to fight for the top, God, may we lay ourselves down. God, may we fight for the bottom, Lord, so that we could look more and more like you, Jesus. Transform us, God. Change us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen.